you will please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. As you're doing that, I'd like to say how much we appreciate everyone being here this morning. As Brother Wayne mentioned uh, today in his Bible class, the beautiful weather that we've been having. And it hadn't been so hot. We haven't had all that rain. And, and so it's, it's a beautiful day today that God has made for us to be able to come together and to worship him in spirit and in truth. And I hope and pray as always that the message this morning will be one that will be very beneficial to each of us as we are reminded from time to time of things that are found in God's word that we need to put into practice in our lives, especially if we're not already. This morning I wanna to talk to us for a little while about God's definition of a Christian. God's definition of a Christian. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the Bible says, And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Many definitions have been given to the name Christian, but the only one that really matters is God's definition. The name is not given out of derision or uh, it's not a nickname given to man. A few years back, I remember talking to a friend of mine, and he was so excited because he'd started having Bible studies in his house. Uh, he's not a member of the Church of Christ. And he was talking about some of the things that he had learned. And one of the things that he said to me was that he had learned that the name Christian was really given to the people of God, uh, basically making fun of them out of derision. And so I thought, you know, nothing could be further from the truth than that. He didn't believe and didn't understand that it's a name given by God. And so as we study God's definition of a Christian, it's good for us to notice this key word that's in our text. And that's the word called, C-A-L-L-E-D. According to Green's Greek English lexicon, the word means, he says, the word Greek word rendered call implies a divine source to be divinely instructed to receive a warning or revelation from God. That's what that little word called means that we find in Acts 11 verse 26. This also lines up perfectly well with what Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 62 verse 2. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and thy kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. In other words, that was the name that was mentioned all the way back in Isaiah 62, that when the Gentiles received the gospel, that God would call his people by a new name. Isn't it so fitting that in Acts chapter 10, we find the first Gentile converts, as we studied this morning in our Bible class as well. And then the very next chapter, we read that the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Not called by just anyone, but God called. This word called is found nine times in the New Testament. And if you look it up, you'll find that every time it refers to a divine revelation. Unless Acts 11.26 is an exception, and I don't see that to be the case. The name Christian is also a proper name. It's uh, always spelled with a capital C. 
Never spell Christian with a lowercase c. You wouldn't spell Christ with a lowercase. You wouldn't spell Jesus with a lowercase. You wouldn't spell Mike with a lowercase. You wouldn't spell Ray with a lowercase. And so I always remember that. When you spell the word Christian, it's a proper name. And so it always is to be capitalized, the C in Christian. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, if you'll notice, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Notice the name Christian. It is spelled with a capital C. Disciples was not spelled with a capital D, but Christian is spelled with a capital C. It's only found three times in the Bible. This is one of them. The other two, one is Acts 26, verse 28, where the Bible says, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. You'll notice when you look at that passage, Christian is capitalized again. And then the third and final time is 1 Peter 4, 16, where Peter wrote, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. And once again, we find the name Christian capitalized. It is a proper name. It is really our family name, Christian. It's the greatest name that we will ever wear in this lifetime. It is a very special name that God gave to those who follow Christ. It's special because it came from heaven. As we just noticed, Acts 11 verse 26, God called the disciples Christians. It's a special name because it shows ownership to Christ. As Paul wrote in Galatians 3.29, he said, And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Those that wear the name Christian belong to Christ. It's also a special name because those who wear it bring glory to God or to Christ in that name. That's why 1 Peter 4.16, the American Standard says this, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name. And so the things that we do that are pleasing in God's sight bring him glory. We do that as we wear the name Christian. It's also a special name because it is really a worthy name. It's, it's mentioned in James chapter 2 verse 7 where James wrote, Do not they blaspheme that worthy name? By which you are called. Well, what is the worthy name by which they were called? Christians. And so those of the world blaspheme that worthy name. That worthy name would, could also be translated that honorable name, that noble name. We shouldn't take it lightly, the name that we wear today. It's a very special name given to only certain people and so for a little while this morning and I doubt I'll be able to finish uh, if we may take up and uh, finish it up maybe next Lord's Day Lord willing but I want us to now just look at God's definition of a Christian and I want us to look at it really from from this passage from Acts chapter 11 verse 26 and a few verses just right around that particular verse to look at God's definition. First of all, if you'll open your Bibles to Acts 11, beginning with verse 19, we will see that a Christian is one that has heard and obeyed the gospel. Acts 11. Notice verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad 
upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and uh, Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great multitude believed and turned to the Lord. If the gospel had not been preached in Antioch, there would not have been any Christians in that city. Because the preaching must, the word of God must be preached so that people can hear Romans 10, 17, which produces faith in their hearts so that they can obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, if you go out into our community, just about anyone you stop on the way and ask, are you a Christian? They will affirm that they are. But that doesn't line up with what God teaches. You can talk to a Catholic and say, are you a Christian? The Catholic will say, yes, I am. You can go to any one of any of these numbers of, of denominational uh, groups around us and you can ask each of them, are you a Christian? And each one of them will say, yes, I'm a Christian. And by man's definition, they may be. But not by God's definition. You see, that name has been given only to those who have heard and have turned to the Lord. That's another way of saying they have obeyed the gospel. Those that hear the word of God. Those that turn to the Lord. Those that obey the gospel. They are the ones. In Acts 26 verse 28. As Paul reasoned with Agrippa. You remember Agrippa said unto Paul. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He had heard the word. You remember Paul pointed out very clearly that the things that were done to Jesus were not done in a corner. And he reasoned with him and he said, almost, you've, almost you've convinced me to turn to the Lord. Well, you know what? He was not a Christian, was he? He could have said he was a Christian, but he would not have been a Christian because he refused to obey the gospel. So in God's definition of a Christian, it's one that has heard the word of God and have Obeyed it. But number two, uh, also number two, a Christian is one that is indebted to others. That's also found in our text. In Acts chapter 11, verse 20, notice, And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. Someone had to take them the gospel. Well, these people that were scattered because of the persecution, they went about preaching and they went into Antioch. And as they went into Antioch, they preached the gospel. Had they stayed in Jerusalem, then there would have been no one to have preached the gospel of those in Antioch. If these men that went to Antioch because of the persecution and going out, if they had not preached the gospel, they could have been there and just kept silent. You know, sometimes that's what Christians do today. And sometimes we are silent when we ought not to be. That makes me wonder if we are really Christians. Because Christians do not keep themselves silent. We'll see that in another point. But notice, had these people just been silent, even though they were in Antioch, 
There would have been no Christians there in Antioch. You see, the Christians in Antioch were indebted to those that came and taught them the gospel. Reminds me of what Paul said in Romans 1.14 when he said, I am debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. And he said, for as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that Rome also. Every Christian ought to feel like he's indebted. Indebted to God for sure, because God sent his only begotten son to die upon the cross. John 3.16. Indebted to Christ, because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. And certainly we ought to be indebted, feel indebted to those who took the time to teach us the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many times do we thank those that, that taught us the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or how many times do, uh, do we think about those in the past? Many of us were taught by those like maybe our parents or our other friends who are no longer alive. But... Do we really appreciate them? We should. And of course, if, if I know them like I think I would know them, uh, they would want us to do the same, right? To go into all the world, just as Jesus commanded, and to go teach all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then teach them to do likewise. And so a Christian is one that is indebted to others. We should never forget those that made it possible Possible for us to become Christians. But number three, according to God's definition, a Christian is one that wants to teach the gospel to others. Not only be taught and obey, turn to the Lord, but a Christian is one that wants to teach others. Look at Acts chapter 11, verse 19 and 20 again. In this, these two verses, notice, Now they which were scattered abroad, Upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, remember that was in Acts chapter 7, the first Christian martyr that we have recorded, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none other but to the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So these were true Christians. And what did they do? They wanted to teach others. They wanted to preach the gospel. They wanted others to know what they had, that what they knew, what they had learned, what someone had taught them. The book of Acts has many times been called the Acts, the book of conversions. And there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But when you really look deeply into the whole of the book of Acts, it's not as much about the conversions as it is the preaching of the gospel. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Many times we say this is basic, the basic outline of the book of Acts. It says. That Jesus was talking to his apostles and he said. And ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria. And to the other most part of the earth. And so when we read the book of Acts what do we see? We see these disciples going out into the world. Preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's really the book of Acts. You remember when we studied so many times all those missionary journeys. That Paul made. What was, what was that large portion of the book of Acts. Was about him 
going from city to city to city to city, teaching, converting, and then coming back around and, and trying to strengthen and rebuild and, and, and encourage. And even before that, what's going on? You have the apostles in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. What do they do? They're preaching and teaching. You just go through where those acts of convergence that we talk about so often, you always find that they were taught the word first. And so when you take the book as a whole, it's really about the gospel being carried to the world by Christians. Now listen, when Christians stop carrying the gospel to the world, we may cease to be Christians, though we're certainly not Christ-like, and that's what it really means, isn't it, to be Christ-like? And when Christians stop preaching and teaching and carrying the gospel to the world, we start to die. Because that's how we live. We must evangelize. In Acts chapter 8 verse 4. The Bible says. Therefore they that were scattered abroad. Went everywhere preaching the word. Everywhere. Where they, everywhere they went. They were preaching the word. They were teaching the word. That's just not preachers in the, that stood in pulpits. That's the church. The disciples of Christ. Christians. They went everywhere preaching the word. Christians love to talk Bible. As I was leaving my house this morning, there's a program that is put on uh, by the Church of Christ. And its title is Bible Talk. Bible Talk. That's the idea. Let's talk Bible. You know, sometimes you may have been criticized over the years because you talk too much Bible. You want a Bible talk all the time. Well, that's what Christians do. Christians love to talk about the Word of God. You can't help it. That's what you're zealous that's, uh, for. That's what's in your mind. That's the good news. How, how hard is it to keep news inside? You know, you've got to be careful what you tell people if you don't want those things repeated. Bad or good. But when you tell someone a secret and it's something that's good news, it's almost impossible for that person to keep that good news to himself or herself. Well, there's no better news than the gospel of Jesus Christ, how that Jesus came and suffered, bled, and died so that mankind could be saved from his own horrible sins. We talk about others. That's what most of the time we talk about, right? We talk about other people. It's not always bad, but when we talk, and we talk a lot, we, we have to talk about people. How many things are there for us to talk about? And, and that can be pretty exciting sometimes. We talk about people, but also we talk about politics. That's pretty depressing, isn't it? But it's something that needs to be talked about. Good things that need to be done in that area. We talk about corona, don't we? We talk about that all the time. About, uh, you know, it's just on and on and on about this horrible virus. And we talk about the weather, don't we? We talk about our ailments. But how often do we talk about the Bible? You know, there are some people you can't be around them five minutes without them talking about the Word of God. Those are Christians. We need to be sure that we love to talk about the Bible. Those who do not talk Bible to others are, are not really Christians by God's definition. And number four, a Christian is one that is not concerned about who gets credit for the good that is done. 
We see that also in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, and, and also verse 20. When we read that, the only name that was mentioned in that passage was Stephen's. The only name. And he had been martyred before the church was established in Antioch, the best that I can tell. So who started the church at Antioch? We don't know. That was a worthy thing, wasn't it? It was a great thing that these people went into Antioch and there they established a congregation of the Church of Christ. But we don't know who those people were. We don't know their names. They're not even mentioned. Many times you hear me say things like, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about doing His will. Sometimes those who love to have the preeminence, they want credit for everything. Everything. When you see people that, that want to put their names on everything, they, they put their name on everything. They can, they can copy things, they can plagiarize things, and they want to put their name on it, their name on it. They want to be, I want credit, I want credit, you know. This is my work over here in, in, in this part of the country. I'm, I'm the missionary over there. I this and I that, and I've done all these things. I've actually heard men in the church just start bragging on themselves, and they've accomplished a lot of good and great things, and for them we are truly thankful. But you don't need to get up there and brag and brag and brag and take all the credit for everything. Many times man wants the praises of men more than the praise of God. In this case, God gets the credit. We don't know who started that congregation, but God was the reason for it. And that's where the glory belongs. And that's where the credit belongs to the God of all glory. I remember Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 14 and 15, when the church there at Corinth was all divided and some were saying, I'm of Paul and I'm of Paulus and I'm of Cephas and I'm of Christ. He said, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in my own name. Paul didn't want credit. He didn't want to be bragged on. He didn't want everybody to know everything. He wanted people to be saved. You remember the Bible says that Jesus taught he baptized more than John the Baptist. But then it says Jesus didn't baptize anyone. He let others do the baptizing. Paul said, I came not to baptize but to preach the gospel. That's the good thing, is it? You preach the gospel, the baptism will take place. But yet, you know, I have known men, I don't know why they do this, but they can tell you exactly how many people they baptized in their life, lives. I'm not necessarily saying anything wrong, but I, I just don't really understand that, that uh, a person would keep count of every single one and then use it to tell others as though they want some praise or, or they want credit. Listen, God will give us credit. He'll give us all the credit we deserve when this life is over. Let's give God the glory. You see, Christians are team players, right? When you stop and think about evangelism, 
We all play a part. We have a role in this work of evangelism. It may be that, that your, your part is to make contacts. It may be that you take your friends and you, you with uh, members of the church, you make that connection so that the Bible study takes place. It may be that you're sending out cards or, or pamphlets or tracts. It may be that you're making phone calls. It may be that you're the silent partner in the Bible study. It may be you're conducting the Bible study. But we all work together. We're a team. We're a family. We're not about getting all this credit to make ourselves feel good. We were about souls being saved. God's will being done. And you know what? We don't all have the same talents, do we? We vary a lot. But that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. I believe Paul points that out. I know he's talking about spiritual gifts, but over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he points out what would it be like if, if every member was a tongue or every member was an eye or every member was an ear or a hand or a foot. We would be so incomplete. But we have our own natural gifts and abilities that God has given us, and we use them together to be a complete body. For the purpose of glorifying God. Number five. A Christian is one that is not a quitter. Not a quitter. You know you hear people say growing old is not for wimps. Being a Christian is not for wimps either. In Acts chapter 11 verse 19. Remember it said. Now they that were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen and then they traveled and they went on preaching the word of God. Notice two words in that verse, scattered and persecution. You know, we can just briefly read over that and it doesn't mean a whole lot. But you stop and think about being persecuted to the point that you have to leave your home. You have to leave your hometown. You have to leave your house, your, your things, your belongings behind. You may even have to run for your life because you're standing for the gospel. You're standing for truth. You remember what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12? He said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Sometimes I hear people in the church say, well, I haven't suffered any persecution. Well, you better examine your life. You may not be a Christian. Because I tell you this, when you love to talk Bible, as they say, you will be persecuted. Because people and their beliefs and their wants do not line up with the Bible. And when you tell people, uh, show them, even in God's word, that they are wrong, they will attack you. Say all manner of evil against you falsely. And do everything they can to hurt you. Just like they did Stephen. In Acts chapter 7, he was just preaching the gospel truth to them. And then he told them just like it was. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and heart near. Oh, wait a minute, Stephen. You're not being politically correct. 
you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hard and ear, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. What were they resisting? The Word of God. The Word given by the Holy Spirit. Boy, he was persecuted. They drug him out of the city, gnashed upon him with their teeth, and stoned him to death. Sometimes... It feels like we have stones, some word stones thrown at us sometimes, doesn't it? Uh, people throw words at us. They kind of hurt sometimes, don't they? But you know what? We just have to be tough and, and keep preaching and teaching the truth and doing what's right. You know, many in our day have quit the Lord. In my lifetime, I've seen many quit the Lord. And more times than not, it's not because they're being beaten for preaching the gospel or being drugged out of a city and bitten, uh, gnashed upon with a teeth or whatever. No. It's usually things like, well, the preacher didn't shake my hand today. Uh, oh, sister so-and-so hurt my feelings. I didn't get much out of worship today. I was sick. Nobody came to see me. Like how many people have you ever visited that were sick? You know, most of the time those that complain the most are the ones that do the least. Those that are active and busy, that are actually faithful Christians in the Lord's church, they have all the help, the assistance, the care that they need when they're in need. As a matter of fact, you'll have to tell people to back off. You see, we don't quit. Christians don't quit. I mean, if you quit, what happens? What do you have to look forward to? What reason do you have to live? You don't quit. These folks were persecuted and scattered, but they kept preaching the gospel. They kept worshiping God. They kept talking Bible, didn't they? Number six, a Christian is one that has a supreme purpose. Purpose is very important. In Acts 11, verse 23, the Bible says, Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. There is power in purpose. You know, some people live life and they have really no purpose. There's a purpose there, but they haven't found it. They're just, well, if you're living without purpose, you're just existing. Just like treading water. You're just here. You're not being productive. You're not accomplishing anything. In, Act, in Genesis chapter 11, after the flood, a few years later, you know, when Noah and his family came off the ark, he told them to, multiply and replenish the earth and the people decided they would they didn't want to be scattered they wanted to stay in one place so they decided to build a tower to heaven a big city a city of Babel build a tower to heaven all these things and you remember when God heard of it he looked down and in verse 6 he said behold the people is one and they have all one language and this they begin to do, and, noth and now nothing shall be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. 
You know why? They had purpose. The people were one. They had that purpose that pulled them together. They had a plan. They had a goal. Their minds were focused. We're going to build a tower. We're going to build a tower whose top's going to reach the heavens. And we're going to build this city. They had purpose. You remember Nehemiah? When he went back to Jerusalem to, to build the walls around the city. And he ran it up against all kinds of opposition. But they would not be detoured because they had purpose. They were going back with purpose. Purpose of mind. They were going to rebuild the wall around that city. And they did so in spite of all that they had to face in about 52 days. They had a mind to work. And they had a mind to pray. They were of the same mind. They had purpose. What can the church do today with purpose? You see... Christians put the kingdom of God first. Everything else has got to line up with that. That has priority. The kingdom. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. There are a lot of things going on in our lives all the time. It's always something. Good, bad, indifferent. There's always things happening. We, we're busy. Who's not busy? Sometimes people say something about free time. What's free time? We're busy. A lot going on. But everything takes a back seat to God's kingdom and his righteousness. And so that's where we really come together. Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. He said, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Isn't that what we're really about? Jesus Christ. That's why we wear his name. And him crucified. Oh that's the good news isn't it? That the sinless son of God. Lay down his life. Like a lamb. He gave himself to be offered. For the sins of many. Now that's something to talk about. That's something to tell others. That's something that gives us reason to live. Because of what he did, we live. As Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We have purpose. Jesus died for us that we might be saved so that we could teach others the gospel of Jesus Christ to the glory of God Almighty. Well, that's a little bit of God's definition just from this small passage of Scripture. There's some more points that we may cover at a later date, but it's time for us to examine ourselves. As Paul said, prove your own selves, whether you be in the faith or not. Examine yourselves. Am I really a Christian? Or do I just kind of like wear that title like a hat? Put it on, I can take it off. Or am I truly a Christian? Do I fit God's description of a Christian? Not man's. Maybe not even my own. But God's description. If you're here and you're not a Christian, we encourage you to become one. 
There's no greater name that you'll ever wear than the name of Christ. There's no work that you'll ever do that is more meaningful than working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, we are laborers together with God. And when this life is over, you'll get all the credit you deserve. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, won't you begin this morning by obeying the gospel? You remember those folks at Antioch, they had to hear the word and then they turned to the Lord. That means you turn away from yourself. Matthew 18, 24. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Turn away from yourself. Take up your cross. It means you're going to have to suffer. And follow me. If you're here this morning and you haven't obeyed the gospel, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? You remember in Acts chapter 8 when Philip was teaching the eunuch that came to a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Philip said, if thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. you got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then he did. And he repented of his sins. And he made this confession. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's a confession that we must all make. That you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Do you remember after he made that great confession that is unto salvation, Romans 10, 9 and 10, he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And there he baptized him. Immersed in water for the remission of sins, Acts 2, 38. And he came out of that water. He was cleansed by the blood of Jesus. He was a free man. And he went on his way rejoicing. He was a Christian, as God called him. And so it is today. Do you want to wear that worthy name? Then you must obey the gospel. And when you put that name on, you wear it proudly and you do it right. Because it is a name of honor. A very, very noble name. If you're here and you need to respond, if we can assist you in any way, won't you please come as together we stand and sing.